0: Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Giving the edge back to the betters with no-fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sports book fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real-money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $20 free on your first order. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com.
1: Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast.
0: This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer. Talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of pint glass football, follow them. At McKenzie Brewing, follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I got another great show today, guys. J.J. Watt retires. Derek Carr gets benched. Nathaniel Hackett finally gets fired. Is Tua a franchise quarterback? The college football playoff is here, and I've got an NFL prospect for each team that you need to watch for. Plus, guest Zachary Neal from USA Today's Ducks Wire is on the show and a whole lot more to get to. So let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, what is up, guys? I hope you guys had a great holiday season. I know I did. Hope you guys enjoyed some time with friends and family. Watched some football. It was kind of cool having NFL football on Saturday and Sunday for the holiday I know I really enjoyed it, ate some great food, had some cold beers. Hope you guys did as well. Man, I'm excited to be back, though, PGF Nation. It feels like it's been forever. I know it's only been a week, but, man, there's been a lot that's been going on. A lot of podcasters, I'm noticing, are taking a break during the holidays. Not this guy, not this show. I'm here for you guys, like always, every week. There's a lot that I want to get to today, so let's talk some ball. I want to start with J.J. Watt announcing his retirement at the end of the season. I don't talk about every NFL player that retires, but this is a guy that needs to be mentioned because we're talking about one of the best defensive players of all time. This is a guy who is a no-doubt first ballot Hall of Famer. The fact that this guy was a walk-on at Wisconsin It just never stops being incredible to me. This is a guy who was overlooked, and he just outworked everyone who doubted him. I think this is a guy you could easily make a case for as a top five, maybe top three defensive player of all time. That's how great of a player J.J. Watt has been in the NFL, a three-time NFL defensive player of the year. Only Aaron Donald and Lawrence Taylor have ever done that besides J.J. Watt. And he's the only player in NFL history to ever record multiple seasons with 20 or more sacks. He's got 60 batted-down passes since 2011, which is the most in the NFL. He was the second-fastest player to reach 75 sacks. Only Reggie White did it in fewer games. His peak, his prime years, when he was really at his best, he was unbelievable. I mean, he did all this, and he dealt with a decent amount of injuries as well throughout his career, and he played on some bad football teams. This is a guy who didn't have a lot of talent around him for a big stretch of his career. I mentioned guys like LT, Aaron Donald, Reggie White. He's in that group. There's no doubt about it. His name belongs with those guys, but what separates them from a guy like J.J. Watt is they all won Super Bowls. They played with other great players. They played on other great defenses. Watt, unfortunately, played the majority of his career for the Houston Texans in Arizona at the end of his career. He only had a few okay teams that he played on, only made it to the playoffs a handful of times. Either way... Just sad to see him go. Really sad to see a guy like this retire. I would have liked to have seen him play a couple more years, especially because right now he's having a really nice year in Arizona. It's clear to me that he's got more left in the tank, but he wants to hang it up. I respect the decision. But like I said, tip of the cap to one of the best defensive players of all time. It's absolutely crazy what has gone on this season with the Denver Broncos. I mean, this is a team that we've talked about a bunch, but the story just keeps getting crazier. It feels like every week the story gets crazier. The Broncos are a team. Let's rewind here. This is a team that went from Super Bowl hopeful, a team that a lot of people were circling as a legit contender at the start of the year. It went from that to an underachieving team, to an absolutely terrible team, to a team that just imploded last week. Nathaniel Hackett, gets fired, he becomes only the third NFL coach to be fired during his first season as an NFL coach. Look, I called this one when he was hired. I didn't like this hire from the get-go. Now, it's gotten really ugly, though, because reports have come out and said that Russell Wilson was getting special treatment all season from Nathaniel Hackett. Apparently, he had his own office in the team facility as well. Other reports said that Hacken and Wilson, earlier in the year this came out, that they weren't coach player, but they were partners. I talked about that earlier in the year and just how bizarre that statement was when the Broncos hired Hackett. I said it then. It was an obvious Hail Mary attempt to try to get Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver. And here we are towards the end of the year and this decision clearly blew up in their face. Russell Wilson has been terrible though. We've talked about it a bunch. Look, Nathaniel Hackett gets fired, but Russell Wilson has been awful. I mean. I'm not talking, like, terrible. He's been the worst starter in the NFL this year. They just got blown out by Baker Mayfield and the Rams, a team that has also been pretty bad this year as well. So you look at what happened on Sunday. Another terrible performance from Russell Wilson in this team. Only 217 yards passing, three interceptions. He looks broken. I mean, he looks like a broken quarterback. His game, it hasn't just declined His game has fallen off of a cliff. We know he's locked up to a big contract. They can't get rid of him right now. But there's legit questions about whether they should try to move him, try to trade him. It's going to be really tough to pull off. I've talked about that in the past as well. The contract's going to make it really difficult. And quite frankly, with how bad he's played, I don't know who would want this guy right now anyway. But the other question is, who wants this coaching position? The Broncos have got to get this hire right. This thing went so far off the rails this year. There's names floating around like D'Amico Ryans, Dan Quinn, and possibly even Sean Payton. Those are the names that I keep hearing the most. Ryans is a hot name in coaching circles right now. He has been an awesome defensive coordinator for the 49ers. I think it's only a matter of time before he does end up getting the head coaching job. But here's the thing. I don't think they're going to go with a first-time head coach again. That mistake blew up in their face. So I doubt that Ryans is the guy they target. I'm not sure Sean Payton wants to come in and quote-unquote fix a quarterback at this point in his career because let's face it, that's exactly what he's going to have to do with Russell Wilson. He's going to have to fix this guy and try to turn back the clock and turn him back into at least an average starting quarterback because right now, quite frankly, he shouldn't be starting at all with the way he's played. And if you're Sean Payton, why would you want to take this job? This is a guy that at this point in his career, he can afford to be picky about where he wants to coach next. Don't know why he would want to take that job when it's such a mess. Dan Quinn is the name that I think makes the most sense. Now, you would think maybe they'd want to bring in an offensive guy, an offensive coordinator to try to kind of rebuild Russell Wilson. But Dan Quinn is a guy who was on Seattle staff with Russell Wilson, so they have a past, at least working together. He has a lot of experience in the league, including being a head coach in Atlanta. He was also a guy who was a candidate to get the head coaching job before they hired Hackett last year. He's done an incredible job with the Dallas Cowboys as a defensive coordinator. I think this is a name that makes the most sense, and he's the guy that I think is most likely to get that job. Another big story that broke recently, Derek Carr getting benched for the last two games of the NFL season. NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reported this on Wednesday. He said that Carr will not practice and will be listed as not injury-related. Ian Rappaport went on to say that both sides concluded it was best for Carr to step away for the final two games to avoid being a distraction. This is a crazy story. And to me, the writing's on the wall because – you don't bench a guy at the end of the season unless you're looking to move on. I think it's over for Derek Carr in Las Vegas. I mean, why else do you bench him if he's going to be the future of the franchise going forward? Now, he signed a three-year extension in April, but the deal is structured in a way that there's an out for Vegas here. Because the dead cap hit would only be $5.6 million if they cut or trade Derek Carr before the Super Bowl this year. But if, according to the contract, if he were to be injured, Over the last two weeks of the season, his entire salary and part of his 2024 salary would be fully guaranteed. That's the key part to the contract to look at here. They couldn't risk him being injured and having to fully guarantee that contract if he was to get injured in these last two games. They virtually have no shot at making the playoffs. I know mathematically they're not eliminated, but let's face it, they're not getting in. And when you look at Derek Carr this year, he hasn't been terrible this year. He just hasn't been great. The other part of the story is that it makes the Tom Brady to Vegas rumors seem really interesting now going into next season. We've talked about that recently on the show here as well. I think it's safe to say that Brady is probably done in Tampa Bay. I can't see him playing there next year, but it also feels more and more likely like he's not going to hang it up. Vegas makes a ton of sense. A lot of people are kind of circling the Raiders as a potential landing spot because of the connection to Josh McDaniels, because of the weapons and some of the pieces in place for the Raiders, it would make a lot of sense. Just kind of crazy the way this whole season's unfolded because this is another team kind of similar to the Broncos. Remember all the talk about the AFC West? We talked about it as well. This was a division that people were saying could be the best division in the history of the NFL All four teams were viewed as teams that could make deep playoff runs and potentially be Super Bowl contenders. Now the Chiefs held up their end of the bargain. The Chargers just got into the playoffs. They're a team that maybe could make some noise. They've had a nice year. But, man, Denver and Vegas have been really, really disappointing this year. Speaking of disappointing, There's a quarterback in the league right now that's been terrible, and it feels like nobody's talking about it, and that's Deshaun Watson. Look, this guy's been awful. There's really no way around it. And I know he's only been back for four games. I don't want to overreact to only a four game sample, but this has been ugly. I mean, really ugly. The numbers don't lie. When you dive into the numbers, he's 40th in yards per attempt, he's dead last in the NFL in passer rating. 39th in the league in touchdown-to-attempt ratio, 39th in the NFL in touchdown-to-interception ratio. I don't know if it's just because the Browns weren't in the playoff mix. People aren't really talking about them. Maybe people didn't expect much from them here at the end of the season. Coming back from the suspension, I'm not really sure, but it feels like nobody's talking about the fact that the Browns gave up three first-round picks and signed Deshaun Watson to the largest Fully guaranteed contract in NFL history. I mean, being rusty your first game back, I get it. Totally understandable. Four games back at this point, I feel like we should have seen more from him at this point in the year. He has not looked any better than that first week back. I said when they signed him, I said, and a lot of people pushed back on this, I said that this has some real potential to blow up in the Cleveland Browns' face. Now, look. I'm not taking a victory lap just yet, okay? Like I said, it's only four games in. He could definitely turn it around and end up being a high-level quarterback like we've seen in the past. But so far, it is really not looking good for Watson and the Cleveland Browns. There's two AFC contenders right now that I want to focus on because the running games for these two teams are really heading in opposite directions right now. And I think it's something to watch for down the stretch. Running the ball, as we know, becomes more important as the weather gets bad late in the year. It starts getting cold. It starts getting snowy. It starts getting rainy. And the running game becomes so important for these playoff contenders and these Super Bowl contenders. Both these teams are Super Bowl contenders in the AFC. And it feels like they're heading in opposite directions as far as the run game. First, the Buffalo Bills. They just had their best rushing game of the year, and I think this is a good sign for them heading into the playoffs. I've said for a while now that the Bills lean way too much on Josh Allen's legs, and they need to find a way to run the ball and have more balance on offense. Devin Singletary and James Cook combined for 205 yards on the ground last week. If they can get that integrated into their offense going forward, like I said, for this playoff push here, that's going to be a really good sign for the Bills. But the other contender that seems to be losing its way as far as the running game, and it's a little bit concerning, is the Bengals. Their run game is struggling the last two weeks, only 73 yards rushing versus the Patriots last week, and 53 yards rushing versus Tampa the week before. Now, both teams are hot right now. They're both winning games despite what's going on. So I don't want to overreact to this, but I do think it's worth watching because, look, they're hot. They're both legit contenders. But the running game, like I said, is going to be important down the stretch. So it's something to pay attention to. Right, it's time for the Twitter poll question of the week. Man, I love doing these. Love getting the feedback from you guys. Look, I only posted this poll question two days ago. And it has by far the most votes of any that I've ever posted on Twitter. With over 630 votes and counting right now, I cannot believe the amount of responses that I've gotten from you guys. It's absolutely awesome. If you guys want to vote on it, it's still up on Twitter right now, at PGF Podcast. The question I posted for you guys, is Tua a franchise quarterback? Right now. 40% say yes, 60% are saying no. Now, here's the thing. He's out with another concussion. That news just dropped recently. Apparently, that happened late Sunday versus the Packers. He didn't leave the game, and he didn't show any signs of a concussion, and he didn't report any symptoms at all. So the NFLPA is now launching a new investigation into this. And if it was handled properly, it's really not a good look considering that he's been dealing with similar issues earlier in the year. This could be potentially his third concussion of the year. So this is really not looking good for Tua right now. And if the Dolphins mishandled another concussion, I'm not saying they did, but if that ends up being something that comes out, it's really going to get ugly for them. And I'm not sure how the NFL is going to handle it. But right now, the Dolphins and Tua are a mess. I mean, this is a team that was 8-3. and three. They were riding high. Tua was in the MVP discussion. Fast forward, now they've lost four straight. Potentially could miss the playoffs. And a big reason why is because Tua has been terrible. I mean, in these last four games, he's been terrible. Now, look, he was okay versus the Bills, but they still lost. But other than that, down the stretch here, he just has not looked very good. And he was really terrible versus the Packers. Three picks. In the fourth quarter of that game, he cost them the game. There's no way around it because Miami was clearly the more talented team. But this Dolphins offense was shut out in the second half. It's been an absolute roller coaster ride for this guy. I mean, it went from tank for Tua. If you guys remember that, everyone was talking about tank for Tua when he was coming out of Alabama. He was supposed to be a lock for the number one pick. He goes from that guy to an NFL bust. Everyone's saying that he's a bust. Myself included on this, his first couple years in the league, he was really average at best. Then this season, he's in the MVP discussion, and now we're back to questioning if he's even a franchise quarterback. I remember breaking down his game when he came out of Alabama, and I said, the injuries are a concern. This was something that he's dealt with. Now, the concussions are kind of a new development, but the guy has clearly been injury-prone going back to his days at Alabama. And look, I get it. Some guys take a couple years to develop. Josh Allen took a couple years before he really popped, and it kind of looked like this year maybe Tua was starting to develop into the quarterback that we thought he might be, or that a lot of people, I should say, thought he might be. But the question is, is he a franchise quarterback? And it took elite playmakers around him adding Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. It took those type of players being around him to really elevate his game. To me, a franchise quarterback is a guy that you can build a team around. A guy that you can look at and say he is a building block quarterback. A guy that could lead you to the Super Bowl. I mean, really, that's what it's about. If you have a franchise guy, you have a guy that you think you can put a team around that can take you to the promised land. And look, he flashed This season, there's no doubt about it. He was in the MVP discussion for a reason. He had a streak there where he looked really good for about eight games. But when you look at the majority of this guy's career, it's been below average or he's been injured. That's really been the story of this guy's career so far. Now, concussions are scary, and I'm really hoping that he's okay, and I'm hoping that he bounces back. But all of a sudden now, he seems like he's prone to concussions as well. If I'm Miami, I'm not building around Tua. Look, we've seen the talent. We've seen a high-level play from him with these guys around him, but the bottom line is the injuries and the inconsistent play. I just don't think he's a guy that you want to lock up to a big long-term deal. It was pretty divided on Twitter, but 60% of you said no, and I'm with you guys. The college football playoff is here. There's a lot of people breaking down previews, breaking down the games. I thought I'd do it a little different. I'm going to give you... Four NFL prospects to watch for, one from each one of these playoff teams. Let's start with Ohio State. This one's an obvious answer, but it's the most intriguing answer because it's quarterback CJ Stroud. Now, he was my preseason pick for the Heisman. I thought he'd be a lock as the number one pick in April, but fast forward now. Most analysts and draft analysts out there see him as quarterback two or maybe even QB three in this class. I think part of the reason that his draft stock has slipped a little bit is he just hasn't looked great when he's faced pressure, especially when you force him out of the pocket and you force him to go off schedule. And he really didn't look very good versus Michigan. Two interceptions in that game. Of course, they get beat. It looked like they were going to get knocked out of the college football playoff. USC ends up getting upset and they backdoor their way back into the playoff. But GMs and scouts are going to want to see how you play versus the better teams versus some of the elite teams. This is going to be a great opportunity for C.J. Stroud against the Georgia Bulldogs defense that is loaded with NFL talent. This is going to be a showcase game for him, a big-time opportunity on a big-time stage to really show what he can do versus elite talent, elite defenders, and great coaching. This one's going to be a lot of fun to watch. All right, for Georgia, man, a lot of guys I could talk about here. As we know, they are loaded with NFL talent, but the guy that I'm the most curious to watch here is cornerback Keely Ringo. This is a guy that I am really excited about because he's a first-round talent, could be a late, first, early, second round guy. It's hard to say, depending on who you look at and who you ask. But either way, I think he has a legit chance to be a first round guy. This guy has not allowed a touchdown against him all season. I mean, he's been really, really impressive. He has NFL size, NFL speed, but this is where it gets fun because he's going up against the most talented and the deepest group of wide receivers he's going to face all year long especially when he gets lined up against Marvin Harrison Jr. for Ohio State. This is going to be a matchup to circle, man. This is going to be one to watch. Get your popcorn ready. Man, that is going to be so much fun to watch, and it's going to really tell GMs and scouts a lot about just how good this guy is. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he's a first-rounder either way, but these are the kind of games that can really elevate or drop your stock when it comes to April draft time. For Michigan, the strength of this team is the offensive line. They've got multiple guys that have NFL talent, but I think it starts with guard Zach Zinter. He's going to be one of the top guards drafted in April. He has a chance, maybe, to be the top guard taken, the first guard taken in this draft. He was a big time four star recruit coming out of high school, and he's developed into a really good all round player. He's got NFL size, six foot six. 315 pounds. He can run and pass block, a really complete player. He is going to be a handful for that TCU defense to deal with. This is going to be a matchup to watch here. Watch for him to really pave some holes up front in the running game early and often versus TCU. Watch Michigan early in this game because I think they're going to try to pound the rock. I think they're going to try to dominate at the line of scrimmage. And it starts with a guy like Zach Zinter. Watch them run the ball behind this guy because I'm telling you, he is going to blow open some big-time holes in that running game. But for TCU, they're going to want to make this game into more of a track meet. Michigan is going to want to make this a fist fight, and TCU is going to want to put on a fireworks show. And it starts with wide receiver Quentin Johnston. This is a guy, if you haven't watched TCU play much this year, he might be the best wide receiver in the country. And maybe, maybe even a top 10 pick. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is selected in the first 10 to 15 picks in April. Six foot four, 215 pounds. The combination of size, speed, athleticism. I mean, it is impressive. He high points the ball. He can run past guys, or he can just flat run over guys. I love the combination of speed and power when it comes to this guy. When he gets the ball in his hands, he is special. After the catch, he can make big plays happen virtually out of nothing. Now, if TCU can pull off the upset here, it's going to be because Michigan didn't have an answer for this guy. And on a side note here, I just started thinking about this. With TCU, is going to be, they're now going to become the first school from Texas to make it to the college football playoff. And it's really crazy because how many people would have thought TCU would be the first team to do it from that state? You've got the Texas Longhorns with the brand, their athletic department, all the money and resources that they have there. And then you've got Texas A&M, once again, with so much money in the budget and all the recruiting that they've had in the last couple of years, all the big time recruiting classes that they've had. It's really crazy to see TCU as the first team to make it there. From those schools, and it just goes to show how much coaching matters in football. I mean, seriously, TCU brings in Sunny Dykes; they find the right coach, and boom, just like that, they're in the playoff. While Texas A&M continues to underachieve, Texas had a nice season, but they really have underachieved in the last several years. And with Texas A&M, I mean, if they didn't leave for the SEC, they probably would have been the first team there because of the talent that they have and just crushing it and recruiting. It's hard to think that if they weren't playing in the Big 12 still that they'd be in the college football playoff. But, I mean, then again, Jimbo Fisher probably would have got outcoached in that conference too. So, who knows? Anyway, hats off to TCU for making it there. College football playoff is going to be so much fun. All right, it's time for the PGF NFL Week 16 Game Ball. The Game Ball is going to Steelers defensive tackle Cameron Hayward. I think most of you guys probably saw this game. It was the primetime game Christmas Eve. Steelers, Raiders, two teams that, I mean, likely aren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, let's face it, but... The rebuilding Steelers, rookie quarterback, first year without Ben, really started off the year slow. Here they are finding a way to climb back, getting closer to five hundred. It's just unbelievable what Mike Tomlin has been able to do there. But the Steelers get a big comeback win on a night where they honored Franco Harris. Kind of a cool moment. It was really a cool scene in Pittsburgh. Cam Hayward, though, in this game, This guy was unblockable. I mean, he had one of his best games I've seen from him maybe ever. I mean, this is a guy who's been a high-level player in the NFL for a long time, but boy, he was just unreal in this game. It just felt like every play, he was collapsing the pocket, disrupting every play. He was in Derek Carr's face, seven tackles, three tackles for a loss. It felt like he was in the backfield all game, two sacks, and a pass deflection, man, what a beast Cam Hayward was. All right, once again, the pick six betting picks back on Twitter again this week. Went three and three on my pick six, but I hit the bonus pick once again. Put that bonus pick for you guys at betteredge.com. That puts me at four and three for the week. Not great, but it's another winning week. I'll have another pick six for you guys on Twitter this week at PGF Podcast.
1: Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no-fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com.
0: Excited to be joined by Zachary Neal, who's the managing editor for USA Today's Ducks Wire. Follow at Ducks underscore Wire, and you can follow him at Zachary C Neal on Twitter. If you guys want to follow along, great stuff there as always. Zachary, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. I'm, a, I'm appreciative of the opportunity. Excited to talk some ducks, uh, talk some duck football.
0: I'm excited too because this is a program that's made some noise here. Big news right now for Oregon is the early signing window. They really started to get a lot of buzz across the media landscape because of what they did in the recruiting cycle here. The way Oregon closed in the signing day window, Dan Lanning and the Ducks, like I said, made some big time noise recruiting a group, a really loaded group, I should say, of four and five star players. Talk about this recruiting class so far for the Oregon Ducks.
1: Yeah, it's been a really fun cycle to watch because, I mean, Dan Lanning hired just a year ago. So the the 2022 class wasn't really a good picture of what he can do in the recruiting landscape. But we knew that 2023 was going to be you know a little bit more exciting because he had a year to work with, a year to kind of build these relationships and get his guys to Eugene. And they really just closed out with an absolute bang on signing day. I know that they were probably one of the more entertaining teams in the nation. They, uh, At the time, they flipped four total players. They got two five-stars to commit. One of them was safety Peyton Bound with Notre Dame, who ended up actually flipping from Oregon to Oklahoma the next day, which was kind of a weird storyline and all of that. But they got five-star Mateo Uyunglele to commit. They signed one of the five-star wide receivers that they had committed for months. So, yeah, in the end, you know, it really was impressive to see what Landing was able to do in his first full recruiting cycle.
0: Yeah, he's been making some noise here. And like you said, it was entertaining. I think a lot of people across the nation who follow big-time college football, follow the recruiting trail, really were paying attention to what Oregon was able to do because this was a class that was kind of seen in that. 10 to 15 range all of a sudden they kind of shoot up into that discussion of like one of the best classes in the country now part of the additions to this oregon program have been through the transfer portal now we know the transfer portal in the last couple years has become such a big part of building a program in college football oregon has made some noise in that regard as well tell us about some of the new additions that they've gotten via the transfer portal
1: Yeah, we knew that early on in in Lanning's tenure that the transfer portal was going to be really where they needed to hit the hardest. And we saw that last year they brought in quarterback Bo Nix. They got a couple great running backs in Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. Their best defensive player this last year was quarterback Christian Gonzalez, who came over from Colorado. And we've seen early returns this year, too, as well. That hopefully, I mean, some some starters for next season, they got a couple of Alabama players and cornerback Kyrie uh, Jackson and wide receiver Treshawn Holden. Um, They've got a couple of big time offensive linemen. I know that, Johnny Cornelius is one of the most highly touted offensive linemen in the portal from Rhode Island, and they got a quim from him on, uh, I think it was last Thursday, the day after signing day. Um, and then Iowa linebacker Justin Jacobs is, you know, that's, I think, one of the ones that fans are most excited for because he's a, he's a big 10 linebacker, someone who knows the physicality of that game. And, you know, Lanning went out and said, hey, I want you to play with us. And he came over. So we know that Lanning has a pedigree with linebackers. We saw what he did with that Georgia team when they won the national championship. We knew he was a great defensive coach. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see what he can do with these guys.
0: Yeah, it is going to be a lot of fun because we've seen some success so far from Dan Lanning. Oregon had really a good first season with new head coach Dan Lanning. But losing to rivals Oregon State and Washington – playing in the holiday bowl. It's nice, but I don't think it's going to cut it next year. So what does Dan Lanning need to do in year two to get this program where they want to be, which let's face it is getting back to that college football playoff.
1: Yeah, you're completely right. I mean, this is, it's a great season. And if you told any fan going into the season that they were going to finish, the ducks were going to finish nine and three, anyone would have taken it and been happy. But then you tell them that two of those losses were going to be against Oregon state and Washington. And I were like, ah, that, okay. Maybe that's not as good as we thought it was. So um, that was a tough way to end the year with two of the last three weeks losing to your rivals. But uh, you know, they've got a chance to bounce back here in this holiday bowl. And I know while bowl games don't really hold the same pedigree as they used to because of opt-outs and transfers and all that, these depleted rosters, it's going to be a really good matchup against North Carolina and Bo Nix against Drake May. That's going to be, you know, a fun offensive game to watch at the very least, but yeah, like you said, it was a, a really good first year for for Lanning because he started to establish a culture. He started to get his own players into the program and, and get his offense going the way it's supposed to. The defense still needs a bit of work, but hopefully we see that turnaround in the next year or two. You mix what they're doing on the field with what they're doing in the recruiting world and what they're doing in the transfer portal, and it's clear that they're getting the talent that you need to succeed at a high level, and that's something that Lanning has seen before. I mean, he's coached a a championship team he's been up close and personal with these these sec teams that can win it all and he knows what it takes and so i think that he's bringing that type of mentality to eugene Um, he knows what needs to happen for them to get there and i'm not going to say that they're going to win a championship in the next five years but i would not be surprised if they make it to a playoff or two in the next half decade
0: i want to follow up on something you said there zachary because you mentioned the defense and we know that's dan lanning's pedigree Came over from Georgia, like you mentioned. He was the defensive coordinator for that program that had such an incredible defense. Now, you you mentioned that the SEC, we know it's a different animal. The level of talent that they had at Georgia is not where Oregon is right now. And we know he's trying to build that. The defense, though, I think was a little bit underwhelming in year one. Is that something where, does Dan Lanning need to be more hands-on with the defense going forward? Is that something you could see Next year, maybe he has more of an impact on the defensive side of the ball. Is it a matter of bringing in more guys to that side of the ball? What What do you think needs to change there to get that side of the ball playing at a higher level? We saw the offense was pretty good this year. They were able to score a lot of points. They were a productive offense. At times, that defense wasn't quite up to par, though. Do you, what needs to change there?
1: You know, I think it's a little bit of both of the things that you mentioned. I think one of it is that they just they don't really have the the level of talent that they need. And I don't know if it's a level of talent thing or a, a type of talent thing, if that makes sense. One of the things that a lot of fans and media members were kind of when we were looking for, I don't want to say excuses, but reasons for why the defense was underperforming with, you know, pretty talented guys on that side of the ball is, you know, I wonder if it was just... They weren't guys that fit Lanning's scheme. I mean, Noah Sewell is a great linebacker. I mean, a future NFL player for sure. He's going to get drafted this year. But he didn't really thrive in Lanning's system. I don't know if that's just him. He's not a N'Kobe Dean type player. He He may just not have the attributes that Lanning needs in his number one linebacker. That's not to take anything away from him. He's going to be a great player on Sundays. But that's just one thing. That's where I'm kind of excited with this future is going because now we're seeing Lanning bring in his guys I mean these are got, not guys that are held over from the Mario Cristobal recruiting classes these are guys that he's recruited out of the transfer portal and out of high school and and guys that have attributes that he wants and to your other point I mean it it very well could be that he needs to be a little bit more hands on that was a a common theme this year is that there was rumors that Dan Lanning took over play-calling duties from defensive quarter, coordinator Tosh LePoy in a few games. It, the defense looked great; it seemed like that was working. But then there were also games like Washington against Washington and Oregon State, where the defense completely collapsed down the stretch and lost them the game. So, and those came after the rumors started that Lanning took over the play-calling duties. So, I, it's a little bit of all of that, but I just think it's also that this was his first year, and you know, not everything's perfect in his first season. So, I expected to get a lot better
0: yeah I think that's a great point I think those are all great points and really valid we we often want instant results but we have to remember this is a young coach a first-time head coach and there's going to be some learning pains and and some things that he's going to have to figure out as he goes here and I also like your point about kind of bringing in his guys around his system and I think that could be very valid as well now I want to shift gears here though because this past offseason UCLA and USC announced they'd be joining the Big Ten Many have reported that Oregon and possibly Washington could follow. There has been consistent reports as well of multiple other Pac-12 schools getting interest from the Big 12. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov is under immense pressure to land a lucrative Pac-12 media rights deal that also gets better exposure for the conference than what they've had in the past. So this is kind of big picture questions here. Could a big media deal secure the conference going forward? Is it really that simple? Or do you think no matter what happens, Oregon and most likely Washington are going to be following the L.A. schools to the Big Ten?
1: If I give you my best guess, I would say that five years from now, we we probably do see Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten because there's a lot of money going on right now. And I know that Phil Knight in particular, one of the the biggest funders of Oregon athletics. He doesn't like to be left out of the party. Ducks got a little bit left out of the party when USC and UCLA went to the big 10 this past summer. So I know that George Klyovkov has a massive opportunity in front of him to keep the PAC 12 PAC 10, whatever you want to call it together. You know, a media rights deal could definitely do that. I don't know if they're going to get one done big enough that keeps up everybody happy and gets them their fair share of the pie that they agree with. But there's been a lot of smoke around Oregon and Washington, like you said, being the next ones to leave the Pac-10, Pac-12, and go to the Big Ten, which honestly, if I'm an Oregon fan, that's kind of what I'm pulling for right now. Because I think I see the level of competition in the Big Ten and the, the opportunities that they have to better get into the playoff and better position themselves nationally and just get in front of more eyeballs. I think that's really appealing. And that's not to say anything bad about the Pac-12 competition because this past year, the Pac-12 was really good. It was one of the best conferences in the nation. And I know that going into the 2023 season, they project to be one of the best too because you look at all the quarterbacks returning, it's going to be a really good conference. But in terms of the money that we're talking about and just the the massive moving pieces, if I were to put my bet in, I think that Oregon does end up in the Big Ten, whether that's three to five years from now, uh, a little bit longer than that, I'm not sure. But I think that is finally where they end up.
0: I think you're right, Zachary. I I tend to agree with you. I think ultimately, I don't think a big media deal from the Pac-12 commissioner, if he's able to pull one together, whatever it is that they're able to put together, I I don't see it being big enough, lucrative enough, and getting the kind of exposure that a program like Oregon and, and possibly Washington are looking for. And it does feel like the Big Ten is looming. It feels like the Sharks are kind of in the water right now. Surrounding this conference. Like I mentioned, the Big 12 is also, there's been a lot of rumors in the media about them trying to go after some of these other schools. It feels like this Pac 12, this conference right now, Pac 10, like you said, whatever you want to call it going forward, it really feels like it's on shaky ground right now. I think the Pac 12 network did this conference no favors in the last decade or so. The exposure has been a major issue, the revenue has been an issue. And I think those are things that, Unfortunately, I just don't think you can fix overnight. I know there's been rumors about possibly Amazon, Apple, and some other streaming services possibly being an option for the Pac-12. Maybe that's a solution, but it's really hard for me to think that a team like Oregon, like you said, with Phil Knight and the getting left out of the party, I think that was a great call because I think this is a program that wants to be in that elite discussion, and I think the way they're viewed nationally a lot of times is – viewed as a big fish in a small pond. And I I don't think that sits well with Phil Knight in Oregon.
1: It makes sense that USC and UCLA, to some extent, belong in the Big Ten. I mean, you see some of the big names in the Big Ten, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Michigan State, Penn State. Those are huge brands, you know, and USC and UCLA carry that weight, too. They've got the LA market. You can also see Oregon and Washington in there. Like, it just, it kind of makes sense. If you're looking at you know, 10 years from now, we are dealing with two, maybe three mega conferences, you know, the SEC, Big Ten, and potentially the Big 12, whatever that Pac-12 merger looks like down the road, if that were to happen. It makes sense that Oregon belongs in the same conference with someone like Ohio State, if we're doing this like national look at everything. So I think that's one of the biggest things that Oregon has going for, because it it is one of these national brands, thanks to, to Nike and everything that's happened over the past couple of decades. So I just, I don't really see them being left out in the end. They were left out in the first round of musical chairs, but I don't think that game is over yet.
0: Yep. I tend to agree with you. It's going to be fascinating. It's something that we've kind of tracked on this podcast off and on, because I think it's a fascinating off the field story that needs to be monitored because I think you're right. The whole shift in musical chairs, like you said, in college football, I don't think it's over yet. And I think it's something to keep an eye on because Oregon is certainly one of those chairs to keep your eyes on because, like you said, this is a big-time program. It's always fascinating to kind of look at that and look ahead. I, I appreciate your thoughts on that, and I really appreciate always having a guy like Zachary Neal once again on the show. He's the managing editor for USA Today's Ducks Wire. Be sure to check it out, especially for you Ducks fans out there. Great stuff, as always. Thank you, Zachary, for coming on the show. It's been a blast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, man. That was great. Really good talking to you.
0: That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF
0: Podcast.